Paul Kemp here with David Keefe and Matt Kresge. We welcome you to a day 71 of Shaped by the Word. We're in our third season, which is the story of the prophets. Uh, we've been reading through for the last uh, few weeks uh, through the prophecy of Isaiah. And Isaiah gives you a nice feel for the texture of the prophets. Uh, it's a patchwork of oracles, you know, deep poetry. Uh, the Lord is prosecuting his, his case against the nation of Israel and against the nation uh, you know, of Judah, but he's also prosecuting his case against the nations of the world. All of them are under his power, his sovereign direction and control, and all of them will one day answer to him. So we've come uh, through a section that began with chapter 13 and uh, ends today in chapter 27, and uh, it was the judgment of the nations as God continually pronounces you know, his judgment on the indifference, the casual nature, uh, the pride of the nations. And of course, now the focus will be on uh, judgment of Israel. Uh, and, and there's hope. Always hope is always weaved in. And as you're reading these passages, they hardly let you, you know, grab your breath. You're, you're reading a judgment passage, and all of a sudden it gives way to hope, and you're reading a very hopeful passage, and all of a sudden it returns you know, to the vision of judgment. So we read these texts, you know, much differently. This is not you know, really a Western text. We want to look for something linear. Uh, we want the judgment to be here in one section and the hope to be here in another section. We want to be through with judgment and, and given way to hope. Uh, but you have this uh, very natural patchwork that uh, you find in here, the character of God uh, and his holiness and his justice. He must punish sin, but in his deep compassion, uh, he is a God who forgives and gathers his people. And so that's the overall message of the book of Isaiah. So we pick up in verse in chapter 27 today. And as we pick up in 27, we do as we always do. We pause and, and realize what a wonderful gift it is to hear the word of the Lord, uh, to see his heart revealed, uh, for us to see ourselves. Uh, you know, not just simply, you know, people living in a foreign place in a foreign land who are really far from God, but also to see our own tendencies uh, to draw away from God and to be caught up in our pride, to be caught up in depending on things around us rather than looking, you know, to our Creator. So before we read, we always pray and ask God to do His work through His Word in our life. So, David, do you mind lifting us up with a word of prayer? Now let's pray. Father, what a, what a gift it is to have Your Word. that um, reveals Your heart, Your character, um, tells us, most importantly, of Your Son, Christ, Christ Jesus, and so may, may we now, as we turn to your word, may we be renewed, restored, um, convicted, encouraged, and may you do a deep work in our hearts um, uh, of helping us to see the wonder and the beauty of, of the story of, of hope that comes um, from the prophets. And we pray this all in the great name of Jesus. Amen. Isaiah 27. In that day the Lord will punish with his sword his fierce, great and powerful sword, Leviathan, the gliding serpent, Leviathan, the coiling serpent. He will slay the monster of the sea. In that day, sing about a fruitful vineyard. I, the Lord, watch over it. I water it continually. I guard it day and night so that no one may harm it. I'm not angry. If only there were briars and thorns confronting me, I would march against them in battle. I would set them on fire. Or else let them come to me for refuge. Let them make peace with me. Yes, let them make peace with me. In the days to come, Jacob will take root. Israel will bud and blossom and fill the world with its fruit. Has the Lord struck her? Has he struck down those who struck her? Has she been killed as those who were killed who killed her? By warfare and exile, you contend with her. With fear of blast, he drives her out. 
as on the day as the east wind blows. By this then, Jacob, then will Jacob's guilt be atoned for, and this will be the full fruit of the removal of his sins, when he makes all the altar stones to be like limestone, crushed to pieces. No ashrapels or incense altars will be left standing. The fortified city stands desolate, and the abandoned settlement forsaken like the wilderness, or the calves' grave, where they lie down. They stripped its branches bare. When its twigs are dry, they are broken off, and women come and make fires among them. For this is a people without understanding, so their maker has no compassion on them, and their creator shows them no favor. And that day the Lord will thresh uh, from the flowing Euphrates to the wadi of Egypt, and you Israel will be gathered up one by one. And that day a great trumpet will sound. Those who are perishing in Assyria and those who were exiled in Egypt will come and worship the Lord on the holy mountain in Jerusalem. So you do have those two fabrics working together. You have a moment of hope, and then you have the continuing judgment. And then you have the final you know, picture of hope, which is one drawn on in the New Testament. You know, Paul will talk about you know, when the trumpet sounds and when we are all gathered you know, into the presence of the Lord. And so this is kind of a you know, beginning of that image. Uh, just a, it's, a, it's a trumpet of victory and of hope and one to which the people gather, and he gathers them up as you would twig from here and from there and takes the broken people and reassembles them mm-hmm. on the holy mountain of the Lord as his people once again. Mm-hmm. And then we see that imagery of a, a vineyard again. You know, we see yeah, that time and time yeah. again throughout um, Old Testament, moving into the New Testament, that God is the one who cares for his vineyard. And, and yet the love, you know, at times he's, he's talked about a, a vineyard that does not bear fruit, you know, or what have I, what have I done? I've done everything, you know, fr- fruit should be abounding. And yet here he says, sing about a fruitful vineyard. Because the Lord is one who watches over it yeah. and takes the, care of it. The opening indictment of Isaiah was a, another song, you know, about the vineyard, and then there was a song about a vineyard uh, where you know he has picked you know the choicest plot of land, he has built the best walls, he has picked the choicest vines, he has built the tower around it, he has done everything he could to have a you know a glorious you know beautiful mm-hmm. piece of property that yields fruit. He says, but every time I went you know to find good fruit, I found only sour. You know, sour fruit. So you judge between me and my vineyard. What more could have been done, you know, than I've already done? And, and here he talks about, you know, a, a different, you know, a different result altogether. All the, the emphasis is not on the wall and not on the vines, uh, but the emphasis is on the God who gently waters it and tenderly nourishes it and brings it, you know, to fruit, uh, which is a, a completion of the entire vision of Isaiah. Yeah. You are judged because you're not bearing fruit. But I will regather you, and you'll bear you'll bear fruit. So it is a, it is a nice, nice image, and, and of course, deeply fulfilled, you know, for us, you know, in Jesus, where mm-hmm. He says, "I, I am the vine, and you are the branches." Uh, you know, we are we are those vines that in the early part of Isaiah were unfruitful, yeah. but here, you know, that God, you know, promises to nourish, and of course, we know from John mm-hmm. fifteen that that nourishment comes from Christ Himself, which yeah. is a great picture. And just that reminder as well, in, in Jesus and in here, that apart from him, we can bear no fruit. And so the fruit we want to see in our lives or that the gospel wants to produce in us, I mean, that even that is, you know, the grace of God. He's the one here who's watering it, guarding it so that no one may harm you. He's the one cultivating this and, and creating this in his people, Old Testament and New Testament. It, it's his work of grace in no, his people's absolutely. life. Absolutely. And then, of course, you move back into it, you know, a sense of, you know, judgment. And then you, uh, you have nice, you know, nice words of, you know, atonement. You know, here, this will be the ultimate atonement of, of their sin. And their sins will, 
you know, their sins will be paid for. Uh, so you have all the you know, all of the gospel themes in here, and as we talked about earlier, this is you know the heart and the character of God. We don't uh, we don't like the judgment passages; we love the hope passages. But uh, hope does not come without you know God dealing with sin finally and definitively dealing you know with our sin. And as a just God, you know we we, we want justice when you know you know mm-hmm. crimes or sins have been committed mm-hmm. against us. Uh, we're a very just people with that. But we want leniency whenever we are the ones you know, who have done it. But God in his, as the righteous judge, must, must judge all of his sins, especially the sins of his favorite people. Mm-hmm. If he's going to judge Assyria, then he has to judge Israel. If he's going to judge Moab, he has to judge you know, Judah. And, and so you have the sense, you have both of these mingled together. Uh, you have the judgment of God as he punishes sins, but also the grace of God you know, as he gathers his people and restores them, uh, you know, from the judgment, you know, from from both the devastating effect of their sins and from the devastating effect of going, you know, through judgment itself. Mm-hmm. And, of course, the picture we have in the New Testament is our sins are not judged by the calamities that happen around us. Our sins are judged by the calamity that happened on the cross mm-hmm. of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul said, this is where God proved himself to be both just and, and justifier mm-hmm. by presenting Christ as the atonement for our sin. He's just in punishing sin. He's a justifier in forgiving sin through the work of Christ. And it's kind of cool to see even at the end of this passage, what what's that what's that lead to, that grace of God the people worship, you know, and we've talked a lot, you know, we use the words kind of theology and the things you believe in, especially around the gospel should lead to doxology, which is worship and and that's just a nice move that, you know, this chapter makes of people and the sin and the atonement and the, the grace they've received and let alone all that we've yeah. received in Christ. And that leads to people who've been gathered, you know, to worship the yeah. Lord for what he's done and who he is. Or, you know, in Michael Horton's, you know, triad, our, our doctrine should lead to doxology, which is worship, which should lead to discipleship, which mm-hmm. is a completely transformed life. Mm-hmm. That it's, it's more than just to move the heart. It's to, you know, transform everything we are and, and to affect everything we are and everything that we do. And you have, you know, one of the, you know, one of the Old Testament pictures, you know, of, of, of salvation or the great work of God. Uh, and one was obviously the Exodus, where God takes, you know, slave people and with mighty demonstrations of His power over creation and the sovereignty over the rulers of the world, uh, redeems His people, brings them to the base of Mount Sinai, where He says, "I've carried you here on eagles' wings." Uh, and of making this covenant with you to be your God and you to be my people and to dwell in your midst. And then the other is after judgment, you have this sense of uh, the nation of Israel has been scattered and he has that image of picking up the little twigs and moving them you know, back, in, you know, back into place. So another Old Testament image of, of God's salvation is, is the return from exile. Uh, you know, as they're scattered among the nations that he regathers his his people and and so that's the image you're beginning to see they, they haven't you know they've in isaiah's time they have not they're living in in prosperity so they have they're kind of hearing echoes of these hardships and the judgments of the nation going on around them they will you know experience it in a deep way whenever assyria comes in and surrounds them and then the lord repels you know, Assyria. So they're, they're hearing, you know, about future judgment of nations that you know, really doesn't even make you know sense to them and future judgment on them that doesn't make sense to them because they're in the middle of their prosperity 
And how great would it be for us if we could hear warnings before they're necessary? <laughs> if we hear them. Yeah, no, at, at all. I mean, you know, wouldn't it be great? How many lessons in life do we learn because we face the hardship of our own failure and our own disappointment and our own shame? And uh, we realize what we should have heard, you know, before those times, how great it would be just to be such a people who are so tender before God that they, they hear his warnings and respond and repent and, and avoid all of the judgment, you know, that Isaiah, you know, Isaiah is, is predicting. Father, thank you uh, for your words of comfort. And we thank you for words that uh, sometimes are very disconcerting to us. Uh, we thank you, Father, for speaking truth with grace and all for the purpose of gathering your people uh, into your presence to know you and, and to, Father, experience the richness of life in you. And, Father, may we be a, a people who have ears to hear and eyes to see. May we not be like the nation of Israel uh, who are deaf to the things of the Lord, who ignore the things of the Lord and even run from them. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen. Amen.